Thank you, Alex. Greetings, everyone. My name is Kamal. I'm part of the ministry team here. Please keep that part of God's word open. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, that you are a God who gives us good news. You are, first of all, a missionary God. You sent your son so that we could know you. You sent him to rule this world in peace and goodwill. So help us to find peace, harmony, goodwill, and wholeness in him this Christmas time. Amen. Christmas is supposed to be a time of peace and goodwill. And I'm sure that for many of us, that's exactly what we'll have. Tomorrow, we'll meet with our friends and family and catch up with them and swap stories about the year if we haven't seen them since Christmas last year. We'll open our gifts, we'll play with each other's toys, we'll eat too much and fall asleep in the afternoon heat and just generally have a really good time. But for some of us, there's not a lot of peace and goodwill this Christmas season. I know that at least some of us here feel like we're at war with our bodies. We might be suffering all kinds of illnesses and weaknesses. For some of us, it may be a daily battle to get through the day. And for some of us, it might be a bit of a victory that we even got here. Well done. Keep it up. And for some of us, family time tomorrow might be a little bit stressful or maybe sad. We may have lost a family member during the course of this year, and we're going to feel their absence tomorrow. Or Christmas lunch might be awkward because some members of our family may not get along. Uncle so-and-so may have had an argument with auntie such-and-such, and so that just makes things a little tense. Or even if it's not our bodies or our families, we might just be burdened with international politics these days. The USA has moved its embassy to Jerusalem and the UN passes some resolution condemning the USA. Look, I don't understand the politics there. I'm not commenting on the politics. But it's just a little bit scary, isn't it? What if war breaks out in the Middle East and Australia gets dragged into it? In fact, what if nuclear war breaks out? As you know, North Korea has been boasting a lot about its nuclear capabilities. And you know how there was a guy arrested for being some secret agent for the North Koreans? He was arrested in Eastwood, just down the road. Christmas is supposed to be a time of peace and goodwill, and nuclear secrets are being peddled on the black market down the hill. This is why we need today's Bible passage. Because God promises through his servant Isaiah world peace. A peace that can only come through a new ruler. Please have a look at Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Now, when we read that verse just on its own, it's a little bit cryptic. Who's Jesse and why is he being called a stump? But when we understand the rest of the book of Isaiah and when we consider the rest of the Old Testament, it's actually not that hard. It's not mysterious at all. Jesse was the father of King David. And God promised King David that one of his descendants would rule the world forever. And here's that promise. It's in 2 Samuel 7. There it is on the screen for you. God says, when your days are over and when you rest with your fathers, 
I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now the thing is, when Isaiah wrote that verse, Isaiah 11 verse 1, when he wrote that, the son of David wasn't ruling anything. The nation of Judah had been defeated, had been cut down. They were under the rule of the Assyrian Empire. Sure, they had a king. They had a descendant of David on the throne. But he was an Assyrian slave. He didn't really have any independence to run the country his own way. He was kind of like a lowly-ranked manager of a really small department of the humongous corporation that was the Assyrian Empire. That's about as much significance as the son of David really had. So God had promised that the king descended from David would be this big, rich, luxurious tree, but the Assyrians came and cut down that tree. Don't worry, says God through the prophet Isaiah, the stump is still there, and I'm going to make a new tree grow out of that stump. I'm going to raise up a new king from the line of David, and he'll rule the world and bring peace, just like I promised. And this is why it's so important that Jesus is in the line of David, a descendant of King David. The New Testament starts in a really boring way. Have you ever thought about that? It starts off with a genealogy, a list of names. Why doesn't it start off with a bang, with someone you know, getting shot or something like that, like we like in uh, movies or uh, the novels we like to read? At least start with John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. Why doesn't it start with that? Because the New Testament, the people who assembled the canon of the Bible, knew how vital it is to show that Jesus is the son of David. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the New Testament, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And remember what the angel said to the shepherds today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. Do you realize what we're celebrating tomorrow? We are celebrating the birth of God's appointed king. We're not used to thinking of Jesus as our king. Least of all at Christmas time. Because at Christmas we say, oh, look at Jesus. He's a cute little baby. And you know, that's just the kind of Jesus that I want. Because he's cute, he's weak, he's helpless, and completely irrelevant to my life. He can't tell me what to do. He can't command me. He's just a baby. He'll poop his diapers. I have to help him. He can't help me. He can't tell me anything. Yes, Jesus came to this world as a baby, but he did not stay a baby. He grew up and went around teaching and healing, and he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And this is the Jesus who rules the world now. Not cute, irrelevant, helpless baby Jesus. Grown up Jesus. Mighty, all-conquering, ever-living Jesus. Just like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. 
This, says Paul, is my gospel. Isn't that interesting? He draws our attention to Jesus risen from the dead. Yeah! Descended from David. Huh? Because it's so important for the Apostle Paul and the New Testament and therefore for biblical Christianity and for us that Jesus fulfills God's promises that someone from the line of David would rule the world. So friends, I've got to ask you, the only way to have peace on earth is to have peace with this Jesus, the risen Jesus, grown-up Jesus, who's king over the whole world. Do you have peace with this Jesus? We can't have peace on earth if we don't have peace with this Jesus because earth belongs to him. It's his Christmas. It's his party. I mean, if you want to have a nice Christmas lunch, then we can't be rude to our host, can we? We can't walk in and say, wow, your decorations look cheap. Where'd you get them from? Reject shop. And then when lunch is served, you can't say, is this chicken or did you cook the neighbor's pet guinea pigs? That's not the way to have a nice Christmas lunch. We can't be rude to our host and expect a nice Christmas lunch. We can't be rude to Jesus and expect peace on earth. Do you have peace with Jesus? Have you put your trust in the grown-up Jesus as your king? Now, we can trust Jesus to be our king and look after us because he can look after us better than we can look after ourselves. He's equipped with God's Holy Spirit. Have a look at verses 2 and the first half of verse 3. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Leadership requires skill. People spend tens of thousands of dollars to get MBAs, Masters of Business Administration, so that they can be managers in big corporations. Ruling the universe needs cosmic skill. You need an MCA, a Master of Cosmic Administration. Now, Jesus Christ is the Master of Cosmic Administration because he has God's Holy Spirit. So he can rule us in a godly way. Now, I'm sure some of us here are going, yeah, of course Jesus can rule us in a godly way. He is God, isn't he? He's all that Emmanuel thing, you know, Matthew chapter 1, all of those really predictable sermons that you hear at Christmas time. Well, yes, that's true. Jesus is God with us as in flesh. But he's with us as a real, physical, human, flesh and blood descendant of David. We sometimes think that Jesus is like Superman, you know, in the movies and comic books. Superman is not really human. He's an alien. That's why he's bulletproof and that sort of thing. He's only pretending to be a human. It's his secret identity. Jesus is not pretending He's not bulletproof. He's just an ordinary flesh and blood descendant of his great-great-great-great-great-grandparent, King David. And in his human nature, he completely relied on the Holy Spirit 
to guide him to make the right decisions, to look after the people around him, to care for those around him. So we can trust Jesus, the ordinary, human, real, physical Jesus, to look after us in a godly way. And he does that. The Holy Spirit equips him to do that in three ways. First of all, the Holy Spirit gives Jesus the right attitude to God. So look at verse 3 again. Verse 3 says, He will delight in the fear of the Lord. So basically, Jesus, he is both in awe and wonder at God and loves God at the same time. We normally split these two attitudes. I don't know if you've ever ever thought about that. We kind of think, yes, we can be in awe and wonder and amazement at God, you know, like fear God. But that's because we're afraid of him. We grovel at his feet before he thumps us. Or we think, yeah, I love God. I like God. He's cool. He's my mate. He tells me how to live. But there's no, no honor, no worship. You see how we normally split being in awe of God and loving God. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, brings them together. He simultaneously loves God. And is in awe and worship and wonder of God. And that means he can love us in a godly way. And secondly, Jesus can rule us because he sees things from God's point of view. That's what the second half of verse 3 says. The second half says, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. See, all of our judgments, all of our decisions are based on our perspective. And our perspective is limited by what we can see, by what we can hear. And so we make mistakes. We misunderstand people. Other people misunderstand us. And we get insulted. They get insulted. And so we stop talking to them because we thought that they insulted us. Maybe they meant it as a joke. Maybe they weren't even talking about us, but we misunderstand, or they misunderstand. I just meant it as a joke. Oh, sure, yeah. And then they're hurt, and they're not talking to us, and they're gossiping about us, and things go wrong. Because we're limited. We only see and hear things from our perspective, our point of view. Jesus sees things from God's point of view, by the Holy Spirit. So he never makes mistakes. He only ever says the right thing, does the right thing. And so we can trust him to lead us and counsel us and advise us and look after us. And thirdly, not only does Jesus see things the right way, he has the courage to do the right thing. That's what verses 4 and 5 say. Verse 4, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. We don't trust earthly human rulers because we don't trust them to have the moral fiber to do the right thing. Especially when it'll cost them. The boss is only in it for the money. The politicians are only in it for the votes. They don't care about doing the right thing. So when push comes to shove, they'll just look after themselves. We don't trust them. Jesus is different. He'll only ever do the right thing. Not only does he see things the right way, the Holy Spirit gives him courage to do the right thing. 
to enact justice and righteousness like it says in verses 4 and 5. Justice in verse 4, faithfulness in verse 5, especially when it costs him. Like when it cost him to go all the way to the cross for us. When we think of God's justice, we instinctively want God to side with us. We want Jesus to side with us. We want Jesus to pay back all the people who have hurt us. And look, that's actually fair enough. Jesus sees things from God's point of view. And so he sees, he knows all the wrong things that people have done for us. And we can trust him to, do, to put that right. But if Jesus sees everything from God's point of view, then he also knows the wrong things that we've done against others. And he has to put that right too. He can't just punish everyone else for what they've done against us and let us off the hook for what we've done to others. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not godly. And the Holy Spirit, remember, not only gives Jesus the ability to see things from God's point of view, it gives Jesus the courage to do the right thing. And that is why Jesus had to die and rise for us. To take away all those consequences, the punishment that we deserve, not only for doing wrong against other people, but for doing wrong against God himself. Do you have peace with this Jesus? Not just the cute, helpless, harmless, useless baby Jesus in the manger, but the mighty Jesus who died on the cross and came back from the dead, offering you free forgiveness, mercy for all the wrong things you've done. Are you ruled by this Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Because only that Jesus can bring the cosmic peace that Isaiah, God promised through Isaiah. Chapter 11, verses 6 to 8. Coming back to our passage, verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. Now God is here promising that when the son of David, the ruler, comes, he'll take away everything that is dangerous. Everything that brings death, everything that is scary, he'll even transform nature. So these dangerous, deadly animals become domestic, like our pet puppies or pet kittens. And that's what Jesus did. Now, when Jesus didn't literally cuddle up with lions and leopards, but he calmed the forces of nature. Think of when he stilled the storm at sea. The wind was roaring. And the waves were tossing the, bake, the, the boat around like a cork. And what did Jesus have to do? He just got up. The Bible doesn't say it, but I kind of imagine him yawning and rubbing his eyes and going, shh, shh, quiet. And the storm subsided like a chastened puppy. You know, back to the corner, down boy. And everything was peaceful. And straight after that, Jesus met a man who was demon-possessed. And the way that man is described, it was like the demon turned him into an animal. He didn't wear any clothes. 
He couldn't be tied down and restrained. He went around shouting and screaming all night like some raging animal. And then Jesus turns up, kicks the demon out of the man, and the man is seated at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, it says in Mark and Luke, at peace. Some of us here are at war with our bodies or our minds, and sometimes this world feels like it's at war. Bushfires, storms, political threats. The risen Jesus offers us peace from all of that in the future, which is the last verse of our passage. Look just at verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Isaiah's time, that holy mountain meant Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That's where God's temple was. And God's temple was kind of like an embassy. You know what an embassy signifies. It's like a different kingdom, a different country on our soil, signifying peaceful relations. We can chat with them, we can trade with them, we can visit and holiday, and so on and so on. The temple was God's embassy on earth. There is peaceful relations, says God, between me and the world. And this verse is saying that one day God won't just have an embassy, but God himself will live on earth. The whole earth will be his home, and all people on, on earth will be his friends, his children. That's what the risen Jesus is now preparing for us. Have you thought about this? What is Jesus doing now, now that he's died and risen? Is he celebrating Christmas every day in heaven, just partying without a care? No, he's actually building the new creation for us. For those of us who put our trust in him, that's what he promised in John 14. I am going there, going to my father's house, he said, to prepare a place for you. A place of peace. A safe space where we can live with him and his Father by his Holy Spirit forever. Where can we find peace this Christmas? Where can we find goodwill in our broken, hurting, and sometimes scary, often scary world? We can find it in Jesus. Not the cute, harmless Jesus that we see in the manger, in nativity scenes, in the shopping center. The grown-up Jesus. The Jesus who died for us so that we can fearlessly come before him, admitting our failures, but not fearing his justice. The risen Jesus, who is mighty and unconquerable. The kind and merciful Jesus, full of cosmic wisdom to rule the world, full of cosmic courage to do the right thing, but full of mercy and compassion for those of us who used to be his enemies but now have put our trust in him. Find peace with this Jesus in Christmas and may your Christmases be full of joy, worship and exaltation just like the angels did in this baby crucified, and risen, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, you sent your Son genuinely to be a weak, fragile baby. We thank you that he did not stay a baby. He grew up, and as an adult, he went around challenging the religious leaders of his time.
challenging those who had turned away from you to turn back, accepting those who turned back with kindness, generosity, and forgiveness. Thank you that he died on the cross so that we can come before you fearlessly to honor and worship you. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give us eternal life, and now he rules at your right hand, the unconquerable king. Give us peace with him this Christmas. Give us joy in that peace. Give our family and friends peace. If it is that there is an awkwardness to our families or our friends, please, by your Holy Spirit, may we be agents of your peace, bringing your peace where there is war. And we pray this for the honor of your name and that more and more people may enjoy the true peace of your risen Lord Jesus. Amen.